You're listening to Kilometer Zero by The Cycling Podcast, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. We left the story of the 2012 Giro d'Italia on the eve of the penultimate stage to the Stelvio. Ryder Hezidal had trimmed Joaquim Rodriguez's overall lead to 17 seconds with a Perito-style attack close to the finish on the previous day's stage to Alpe de Pampiago. With the final day time trial in Milan to come, it was a case of advantage Hezidal, as long as he didn't concede too much ground to the Spaniard on the Stelvio. However, no one had considered that a threat might come from a bit lower down the general classification. Thomas de Ghent, who was lying 8th overall, 5 minutes 40 down, launched an audacious bid to steal the Giro from under the noses of Rodriguez and Hezidal. And for a while, it looked like it might pay off. So Saturday morning, um, Ryder and I were roommates throughout those couple of years. So, you know, I spent more time with him in training camps and in races than I did my own wife. And um, we woke up in the morning, you know, just typical small mountain chalet where you know you're pretty much on top of each other in the small beds and and we didn't say a word to each other it was it was the only time we never it wasn't even like good morning nothing it was just like all right this is that that's when it really became real and that was the stelvio stage and my wife rang up and i took the call and i ran outside so he couldn't hear me and i was like i think we could pull this off today and i was like i can't believe i'm saying this but i'm only going to tell you because i don't want to jinx us but i i really think we can and I knew that I had to be in the breakaway that day because that was the best place to possibly be. So Ryder and I policed the whole front of the field for the first, I don't know, 10, 15 K until that break was established. And it went straight up to Tonali for 34 kilometers. So we knew a break would go. And then of course the Motorola and then the Stelvio the finish. So I just drank as much Cokes and food. And after I already been off the front for five and a half hours at this point in time. And uh, yeah, and just, we just rode as long as we possibly could, you know, and I think I did an hour on the front on the Stelvio, and then Ryder did the rest as much as he possibly could. That was Christian Vandervelde, who himself had finished in the top five at the Tour de France and had worn the pink jersey at the Giro in Palermo in 2008. Here, though, he was Hezidal's right-hand man in the mountains. If you look at the, the tactic that UAE used in 2020, where Alan Piper was at the Tour with Pogacar, I think you can see quite a few uh, similarities with what we did in that Giro. This is Charlie Wigalius, the young Garmin Barracuda sports director who was working through the calculations as the riders raced up the Stelvio. Keep your head down, keep yourself out of the, you know, the discussions in the, in the media and so on about who the protagonists of the, the race were. Lie low until the key moment, which, you know, for us was on the Stelvio, obviously. What threw a wrench in the whole thing and who would have ever anticipated this? And looking back in cycling today, you, th- you kind of scratch your head. But at that point in time, you know, he could ride GC. Is What threw a wrench in the whole thing was in that Stelvio stage. Thomas de Ghent got in, a, in an early move. And everyone even in cycling today knows, but especially back then when Thomas de Ghent was at the absolute peak of his powers and was, you know, was lighter than he is now. When he gets out in a breakaway... He, 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 he is just so strong and impossible to get back. You know, he, he just has this ability to just sit on sort of high, medium power forever. And he did exactly that that day. La grande trenata per limitare i danni, non riesce a reagire all'accelerazione di Scarponi, che se non altro 
può migliorare ulteriormente la sua classifica non è partito Rodriguez segno che anche Rodriguez è al limite delle proprie possibilità altrimenti avrebbe sicuramente I mean I was like completely baby faced sports director in that sense I had this microphone in my hand on a kind of day rate contract and you had you know this 25 kilometer climb Thomas de Gem who you know wasn't part of the calculations really he's gone up the road and he's just i wouldn't even say he's going faster he's just not slowing down at all and he's just gaining time and he's gaining time and we're pulling but we're also acutely aware of the fact that you know we've got limited resources to pull we've got Pete who Pete Stetner who pulled the early part and then after that you've got basically got Christian Vandervelde if we pull too hard Christian's going to run out of energy ahead of time and we know that as soon as he does Purito's going to attack so it's like this constant thing of like weighing up those two threats really and trying to work out on the fly without a phone coverage and you know without any internet or even any kind of mathematical brain how much time we could reasonably give Thomas de Gent and still beat him the day after they had enough road in the valley that you know with with just like Pete and Christian pulling it they weren't you know they were just losing time and that road in the valley gave the Gent like a big gap and then he got onto the Stelvio and you think okay well you know he'll come back on the Stelvio but again Christian and Pete had used up most of their energy holding them on the flats so they got to the climb and and neither one of them could get that far into the Stelvio to help riders. So then there came this moment significantly far away from the finish line where Rodriguez just sat on his wheel and said, you want to win the Giro? It's up the road to Gens close enough that, that you, and, and he's a bigger threat to you in the time trial than I am. So you want to close that gap. You got to close it. So this whole anticipation of the day before where, okay, the Stelvio is this long, draggy, shallow climb that you can draft on. We thought that's perfect for rider all of a sudden turned against us because now it was going to turn into Ryder having to ride 10K on a climb by himself in the wind with Rodriguez just sitting on his wheel waiting until 2K to go to to put a ton of time into him. And this is actually, I mean, this speaks to how, how strong a character Ryder is and how intelligent a Ryder he was in this sort of situation. At one point, you know, I said, right, we'll just try and get Christian as far down the road as he can. And I know that i know the Stelvio quite well because we used to do training camps up there. And I said to Ryder, I said, look, when Christian's done, you're going to go and ride on the left-hand side of the road because it's super open up on this kind of, uh, like a prairie up there, you know, it's kind of a field. So you're going to go and ride on the left-hand side of the road and the wind will come from the right and you're going to put it in the gutter so that nobody gets any... Uh, any shelter and you're just going to ride your best time trial to the top and if Polito attacks you he attacks you but like that's how we're going to do it and that's how it went and of course he attacked and then there was this kind of countdown to see you know how how much time would we have to play with for the next day I wouldn't say it was even a gamble it was the best I could come up with at the time to be honest I mean took an 
an enormous amount of confidence on his part, but also, you know, very good calculus. I'm sure Charlie had quite a bit to do with that as well, but it, but uh, it was written almost perfectly. And that, yeah, he did lose the jersey that day because Rodriguez did exactly what he talked about. He attacked. But when Rodriguez finally did his acceleration after sitting on the wheel for, you know, for a long time, he didn't gain that much. And so it, Ryder kept it within, you know, kept it within spitting distance. At, at that point in my career, if I, if I didn't have a great job to do, I didn't want to be there. So I, I hold that day and that, that month in high esteem in my career. It was one of my favorite days on the bike. And uh, yeah, I, I loved it. And Ryder did the same thing for me in 2008 when I, when I had a, a rough day. So it, it wasn't a stretch for me to go and put myself out there for him. So I, I loved that day. I, re I remember every second of it. I remember sitting, I remember signing in and I was, I sat on the start line for like 25 minutes by myself, just making sure that I was going to be on the front line. I had to be in that breakaway, everything. And everything worked out. Pete Stedna did a great job. I mean, he definitely became a man that day. Uh, it was, there's a lot of things that, uh, just had we didn't have a choice you know we had two bullets to play with pete and i and we had to be there and um yeah pete i was so proud of him you definitely stepped up that day as well because no one else was with Ryder as well so pete had to be there with him back in the peloton and um yeah so it was is it was a great day but yeah that stelvio i remember in my mind after you know 55 minutes on the front and i wasn't by that point in time i was on fumes beyond fumes and just digging deeper and deeper like when are these guys gonna attack Volata per De Gento, ormai non ha più energie ma il, il grosso è fatto. Eccolo qua l'arrivo di Thomas De Gento, un ragazzo di 25 anni che compie l'impresa del giro. Straordinario Thomas De Gent che alza il pugno dopo il traguardo, dopo quella sorta di volata, se volata si può chiamare, a quasi 2800 metri di altitudine. Scarponi adesso all'ultimo chilometro, manca ancora un'eternità per Egedale Rodriguez. In the top, in the hotel, on the top of the Stelvio, you know, this iconic hotel up there. In the bar, we set up uh, two trainers. And this is, you know, almost seven-hour stage. And this is before people were doing the cool-down protocol so much. And so we set those trainers, and we did a cool-down right in front of everyone who had to walk in there. And that broke everyone's brains that we were riding and doing a cool-down, just humming on the trainers, you know, at 300-some watts cooling down in front of everybody. And I remember Ivan Basso going straight to the bar and having a beer and, and Ivan does not drink. I never saw him drink before and he wanted to have a beer. So I think, you know, it was that we, we policed the Peloton as well as we did with our tiny team. Um, Rod did fantastic. They didn't take as much time out of him as they thought they would. They thought he would break. And then, then showing that we were ready for the time trial the next day that, that completely broke them around. Non c'è l'audio purtroppo. I remember we'd organized a, a helicopter transfer for the riders to go to Milan and I kind of went and saw them before they jumped on the helicopter and everybody seemed really happy with how it had gone and you know they were kind of up and inside I was wondering I wonder if I wonder if it's gonna be enough. Tour of California had ended and then Doug and I kind of were, again we just I don't know if we totally believed Ryder was gonna win the Giro and so uh, Doug being the old owner of the team. And so we were kind of calling each other every day as we'd watch the race on TV and say, well, do we want to fly to Milan? And so then we both bought our tickets and said, okay, we're going to fly to Milan on the stage 19. And then as we're packing, 
to go to the airport were watching it kind of fall apart on the Stelvio and thinking, ooh, okay, maybe maybe we don't want to go to the airport here. There maybe isn't going to be a party. This might be more like a funeral. Uh, and it, I mean, it was tense. We, I, you know, before I left for the airport, I watched that stage all the way to the finish because I thought, oof, this is, you know. So anyway, we, we, we arrive. That parkour is downtown Milan. It, there are tons of corners. There are diesel spills all over the place. There are tram tracks left, right, center. There are stones, gaps in the road. I mean, it's, it's a center city, a center northern Italian city. Like, this is not... Uh, smooth track by any stretch of the imagination there are multiple things that could have gone wrong that day you know I'm watching you know every rider has their motorcycle driver that's leading them through the course right and uh, but it was a tight course with a lot of corners and a lot of these motorcycles were pretty close to the rider behind them and I'm thinking whoa you know, like you get a motorcycle driver that doesn't totally understand the concept of drafting and, and, you know, and he's just trying to keep the rider safe from the crowds. There were so many things that could have gone wrong that day. E sempre intorno alla terza, quarta posizione. Rapporto ancora forse troppo lungo per rilanciare in queste curve. Serviva un po' di agilità in più. Si alza sui pedali e fa la volata. Thomas de Ghent. Doug and I were walking around the course, literally. I mean, when I say walking around the course, I don't mean that in like the strategic sense of walking around the course. I mean it like in the nervous pacing around the course. And, and, I, and I know myself well enough to know that um, when I'm nervous like that, 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 uh, that other people can see it. And I didn't want anyone on the team to be able to see my level of nerves. So I you know, separated myself. I mean, I wished everyone the best of luck and... But I separated myself um, from the team because, you know, I don't, I don't want my, my nerves affecting their confidence. So Doug and I just, just walked around the course or paced around the course that day. Ancora convincente Marco la pedalata di Ryder Ejedal. Vola Ejedal, vola Andrea, non difficilmente anche lui non pensavo potesse fare una prestazione così in linea, quasi da cronoman puro. Incredibile. You know, Ryder was a very good time trialist, not a great time trialist, but again, he was he was exceptional when everyone else was tired. And that was what, you know, really put him, you know, in the in the pink jersey that day is that he 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 was really strong relative to other guys that were that were legs were still stinging a little bit. Tempo che gli servirebbe per resistere all'attacco di De Vedete che siamo già a 33 e It was one drop chain, one flat tire in a pothole, one crash in a corner. Any of those things would have would have thrown it back into Rodriguez's favor. And you know, had Rodriguez won he would have been a very worthy winner. I mean, that guy was number one ranked rider in the world for many years. It just fell in our favor. Rider Ejedal, momento storico per il ciclismo canadese e per il ciclismo in generale perché sta per arrivare una vittoria inaspettata al Giro d'Italia. Per proclamarla ufficialmente dovremo aspettare Purito Rodriguez. As far as the celebrations, you know, it was, um, in my book, probably the best celebration you could ever have after winning a Grand Tour and that we found this wonderful little trattoria uh, in central Milan. And these people were ecstatic to have the winner of the... I mean, it, this was not a party. This was just like a family dinner. But they had 
the pink jersey of the winner of the Giro d'Italia just having dinner in their little family tartaria. And I mean, it was it was funny because we, we told them that morning and we're like, eh, they had like gone to the market and like bought the freshest, you know, tuna they could find like straight off the boat. And they had, I mean, and they were feeding us and feeding us and it's very stereotypically Italian, you know, it's like we were all just stuffed and, and then they start getting insulted that we're not having like a 19th course of whatever the dish was i mean we were you know it was like one of those like okay were people drinking and getting wild and what yeah but we were all so full of food we could barely move so where is rider hazardal today i sent him a message but he didn't reply do not take it personally. He is off the grid, man. <laughs> I just talked to him on the start of the Giro. Rada lives down in Costa Rica, so he left Victoria. So he's down in Costa Rica. He's uh, he's part owner of a logging company for Teakwood down in Costa Rica. So I, I actually the last time I saw him was down in Costa Rica itself. Had a, a um, he's living his best life down there, and it's it's perfect rider. It's it's a uh, Pura Vida, man. You know, it's Pura Vida. Everyone just, just relax. He goes surfing. You're out in the sun at all times, rides his bike. Um, he looks great. So, yeah, I, and I speak with as many people as I possibly can. I, I spoke to Tyler Ferrar yesterday, David Miller. I'm in contact with some of the riders on the team, not so much. Actually, one of the riders, Sebastian Russell, that year, that, I think that was the only race I ever raced with them ever was was that day. And Ramudas Navidarskis, Jack Bauer, Robbie Hunter. I'm in contact with. He'll be working with NBC this year on the on the moto. Uh, Pete Stetna, uh, Alex Rasmussen. Yes, yeah, so it was a it was a, a great squad, and of, of course, Alan Piper. Um, been in contact with quite a bit over over the last couple of years. The biggest thing that I always take away is I still don't know how we ever pulled it off. I mean, it was just it was one of those it was just touch and go throughout going back and forth with Perito for so many times. And then everything just worked out perfectly on that last weekend of racing. So yeah, it's a, a little bit of a just surprise still to this day. Um, and it was, it was a, an amazing race for everyone who was involved in it. During this series of Kilometer Zero, we've been hearing from team Novo Nordisk rider, Sam Brand, who's a type one diabetic. This is his audio diary from the recent tour of Hellas. Still gassing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights and personalized analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. The Cycling Podcast, powered by Supersapiens. Good morning, everyone. Sam Brandt here from Team Nova Nordis. So uh, we're just about to depart to stage two, um, just up for breakfast. But I want to sort of describe the Greek countryside to you. We're just outside Athens on the coast, and it's absolutely stunning. Um, it's 8 a.m., and it's super warm already. So uh, in store for another hot, hot day today. Um, they're talking about um, mid-20 mid degrees uh, with the heat, you know, with the team with everyone living with diabetes you have to stay on top of uh, the blood glucose management because uh, the heat can affect everything so um, you know just making sure that we're in zone everything's in target and uh, focusing on it making sure from breakfast um, we're in the right routine and 
you know, it's important, but it becomes part of daily life. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to today's stage and giving everything that we've got. Um, protect the leaders and, and do our best, you know. That's the job. We find out more after the departure. We have um, a one-hour drive to the start, and then we'll go from there and have a team meeting and see what the plan is. Thank you. Jonathan, we were quite critical of Ryder Hedgedal, Garmin Sharp, and yourself, I suppose, on our podcast. We were certainly asking some questions of, you know, how, how the disclosure was made that he had doped a few years ago. I mean, do you regret the way that was handled? Do you regret the way that it came out? I mean, I don't... I don't of course, it would have been much simpler if he had uh, publicly confessed along with the rest of our riders that we had in that situation last fall. And we would have preferred... Jonathan Vorters had set up the team with the goal of winning a Grand Tour clean, something that a few years previously had seemed impossible. Of course, when the United States Anti-Doping Agency's investigation into Lance Armstrong had concluded, it became apparent that Vorters, Vanderveld and Hezidal all shared a similar past. Obviously, what was it, 18 months later, the reasoned decision was published and the th- four of us, me, uh, Richard, Daniel and you, we sat in a wine bar somewhere, probably not too far from here in central London and we talked about your, um, your I guess, dilemma or was was it a dilemma? Because Ryder Hazardar, like so many riders who, who'd ridden in that era, had a past, and it was a past you knew about, and it was one that you were suddenly confronted with in the public domain. And, and so there was a kind of a, you know, there was the beginnings of a sort of an asterisk over that whole Giro 18 months later. And I just wonder now, with a decade's worth of perspective, how you look back on that. Well, <clears throat> you know, there's a few, few different perspectives on that, but... Um I mean, as far as, you know, that victory and that part of Ryder's career, um, you know, to me, there's, there's no, there's no asterisks. I mean, I, I know how he won that race dead straight. Um, you know, I know sort of what that part of his career was all about. Um, and I, I have zero doubts, zero concerns, um, zero to hide, um, it was annoying how he, he what what hurt with Ryder in, in that whole situation is that initially in the USADA investigation, the federal investigation, because he wasn't, you know, an American citizen, he wasn't pulled into it. And they, it, it was just one of those, you know, whatever USADA was asking for from us at that point in time, we gave to them. I mean, it, we, we were an open book. Um, they never asked anything about Ryder until way after the fact. And so, like, we'd sort of already gotten, you know, hit really hard. And we'd come forward and said, you know, these are the riders that have testified. This is their history. This is my history. This is the history. You know, I mean, it was a, I mean, a completely open book. Always had been, you know, to this day, Travis Tigert and I are, uh, you know, are, are very friendly with each other. And, and to this day that I... While at certain points the decision to be that forthright with USADA, which was completely unprecedented in cycling. I mean, cycling has a long history of, quite frankly, lying. Um, and to break with that, it, I mean, it's still not popular in many parts of the, the sport. Um, but I don't question that decision once. It hurts sometimes to see other people... Uh, 
have a different view on it. Like somehow we were coerced into it or we were pushed into it or that Travis Tigert forced me to make that decision. And none of that's true. I mean, if Travis Tigert had forced me to make that decision, then you know, I wouldn't talk to him to this day. I would say, you got, you know, you got what you needed from us and get out of my life, whatever. No, it was the right thing to do. It was the right thing to do at a time when the sport needed that to happen to move forward, period. Um, but Ryder, since he wasn't a U.S. citizen, kind of didn't fit into that initial push. And then all of a sudden, after the fact, I get a call from Bill Bach. Oh, hey, by the way, we need Ryder to come forward, too. And I, and I was like, oh, you know, guys, could you have not done that a few months ago? so he did you know same rules internal rules of our team applied to him as they did anyone else but it it stuck out because he was sort of a a, a separate item and I think some people saw that as like ooh they you know they nailed something from him and no it was more just that you know that the the USADA investigation wasn't complete you know at the like Lance Armstrong wasn't like the end all of the USADA investigation they kept going and eventually it started reaching into other countries and when they got there they're like oh what about this guy and I said yeah you know he's our guy and then in the information you have I imagine is correct and so you know okay like what do you need from him but it stuck out and it's in it and it stuck out in a way that it felt like he sort of got caught or something which is is not the case his history was just as old as any of the other writers um he was just as willing to come forward you know it just probably hit him harder because he was you know a Giro winner and people then said oh well what about his Giro win which was you know years after the events that had that were come into question with USADA it, it it's unfortunate and I feel bad that Ryder's reputation took a took a ding for that um you know my reputation has so many dents in it. I'm I'm okay with <laughs> a few more, but uh, but I felt bad for him um, because he honestly earned he earned that victory. You know the old fashioned way. When Bill Bach called me regarding Ryder, I called Ryder and said, "Hey, I, you know I'm sorry. This is going to hurt because you know you're the highest profile Ryder we had at that point in time, but you have to." you have to come forward the same way all of these other riders did and and be truthful about it how did he take that i mean that must have been quite a conversation but he must have also known it was coming i mean he would have known what other riders were um you know the american riders who were further through this process must have known that it was coming i guess i think so you know for sure but i mean of course he probably was hoping as at that point in time you know, 90% of the Peloton were hoping like, well, maybe my name just won't come up. You know, when you, when you do something that's against the rules, you have to take your knocks. And if you're lucky enough to like not get caught or got mentioned, well, okay, you still have to live with it the rest of your life. So I don't know. Ryder was, he was upset, you know, and I, and I, and I don't know how he feels about it to this day, but my hope would be that he, he's glad that that's not something he has to sort of hope that nobody uncovers for the rest of his life. There will never be anything that they uncover about his Giro victory. You know, I, I encourage, you know, Wada, USADA, whoever, UCI, to go and test those samples over and over again using the most modern technology they can. I encourage them to investigate that because it was a straight-up victory, and he'll be able to live with that honor the rest of his life as well. I had spoken to the feds in 2010, so that was already almost two years at that point in time, and just waiting, actually hoping at some point, it was the worst feeling to have that you never knew when it was actually gonna come out. 
just wanted to get it over with. That, that was hard for him to take. And it was really one of the things that really, really stuck with him after 2013 that was. Again, to my, my point of him, like how, how we, we pulled that off, I, I do not know what could have been with him, especially in, in 2013 and how strong he was at the Giro and just gotten sick. He was 10 times sharper and, and fitter at the next year. But you know, it's kind of like the old cliche of, you know, if I was at this weight and I go two kilos lighter, then I'll be this much stronger. But that's not necessarily how it works. This is a, a great uh, little workshop to even think about 10 years ago to what was happening. And, and the year before that, we toasted to the Giro d'Italia at his wedding in 2011. In my mind then, like I, I didn't even understand, you know, what, what, what is our goal? You know, top five, top 10. I mean, we, Ryder had done well in the, the Tour de France before in 2010, but I, I honestly did not think that a win was <laughs> going to be there or, you know, that we were even close to having the team to, first of all, to, to shepherd him there and that if he had the class to, to do so. But yeah, thinking all the way back in uh, November 2011 down in St. Louis, toasting to, you know, hear the Giro 2012 and, no shit. <laughs> look, look what happened. Kilometer Zero by the Cycling Podcast was produced by Tom Wally. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freed, and Lionel Burney.